Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. We see Joseph forgive them. We see Joseph treat them with kindness. We see Joseph now reconciling with his brothers, but he still acknowledged the wrong they had done. And I think this is important as well. If you look at how God seeks to deal with our sin, he doesn't sweep it under the rug and say, hey, oh, I don't want to hear it. Don't. He wants to bring it to light so that he can deal with it. He wants us to put our cards on the table and say, Lord, make this right. We will go to the Lord and we'll just say, oh, it's all forgiven, all of it, and just kind of try to, try to shove our sins and, and personally not acknowledge our own sins and not bring them to light. And we shouldn't be surprised when a week later we're doing the same thing because we have not allowed the Lord to address it. It's important to confess your sin. Openly confess it. Acknowledge it's wrong. And ask God to bring about healing. Joseph is seeking reconciliation. He's not trying to bring up hard pasts to spite them or to make them feel bad. He's already moved on. But he also acknowledges the offense in it. He's like, look, this was this wrong that you did. Let's, let's take a look at it. And now that we've moved beyond it, let's see what God has done in it. Let's see how God has used it. And let me tell you, that's where you find a lot of healing. Verse 5. He says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He's seen their distress. He, he knows it. He knows they were wrought with grief the first time they came back when they're like, we're in trouble because we sold Joseph into slavery. And remember he had to ugly cry and run out of the room that time? Like he's seen their distress. He said this, for God sent me before you to preserve life. You see, Joseph, he acknowledged their offense, but he also recognized God's hand in it. And I want to tell you that this is so important for you to get beyond your offenses. The things that people have done to you is to, to let go, release them from that prison, and start to ask, God, what, what are you doing in this? Or how did you use that circumstance for my good? How did that pain and difficulty bring me closer to Christ? Because God is using it for your good. He is. Joseph gets through it because he trusts in all things God is working it to his good. Joseph's life is the Romans 8.28 demonstration. If you want a movie about Romans 8.28, you watch the life of Joseph. Because he believed in every circumstance, God was up to something good. And we can do the same. Yes, I'm hurt, by, but God is also able to, to use the sins against me to bring about blessing. God is able to use the evil that other people bring into my life and turn it around for good. God loves doing things like that. The enemy, the enemy loves bringing up sin in your life. He loves bringing offenses into your life. But God loves 
his little judo moves where he turns it into something good for your life and for my life. Verse 6, For the famine has been in the land, he says, these two years, and there are yet five more years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And they're like, do you really practice divination, Joseph? He's like, nah, I was just playing. God told me. God told me that this is going to happen. And God sent me before you, he said, to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. He's like, guys, I know we had this wrong. I know we're moving past it. But let me tell you the big picture of what God is doing here. Let's bring this back to the big picture. God had more, concerned than, uh, more concerns than my imprisonment and your sin. God, God desires to save the world. And God actually chose us, chose to use us for this salvation. Now, something amazing about this story with Joseph and his brothers is that the Jews are foreshadowed in the brothers. The reception of, of Jesus by the Jewish nation is foreshadowed here in the story of Joseph's life. They have rejected Christ now as a nation. Many Jews have come to Christ, but as a nation, they have, they have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. But the Bible tells us one day they will receive Jesus as Messiah. And there are a lot of parallels. For instance, the brothers first rejected Joseph, sold him into slavery. The Jews first rejected Jesus. Joseph was sent to Egypt as a result of that rejection and guess who got saved first? The Egyptians were delivered from the famine because of Joseph. And then the brothers came. As Jesus was rejected and the gospel was rejected amongst Israel, it went out to the Gentiles. And guess who got saved? The Gentiles. The brothers enter into a seven-year famine. And they receive Joseph as their leader during this seven-year famine. The Jews will enter into the seven-year tribulation period and they will receive Jesus as their Savior during that period. Joseph's family will be taken in this tribulation to a, a place of protection and provision in the land of Goshen. The Jews, as they receive Jesus as Messiah, will be carried away to a place of protection and provision for the duration of the tribulation period. And then here, Joseph declares that God desired to preserve them as a remnant on the earth. And the Jews who get saved in the tribulation period in Romans, they're known as the remnant. The remnant who are saved. So we see all these amazing parallels. God is calling His shot with the nation of Israel. He's like, I'm going to get you and you don't even know it. I'm going to save you guys and you're going to love me and we're going to have this relationship and you don't even know it yet, right? Verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, he said, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. I was considering this. How blessed is Egypt because of Joseph? Oh, tremendously blessed. Could you imagine if they hadn't saved all that grain abundantly? They would have squandered it all and they would have been in dealing with starvation now if, if, if it weren't for Joseph. But Joseph, who is an older man, it appears to be he's older than Pharaoh. Pharaoh perhaps was a young man. You know, even, maybe even just a kid. 
But Pharaoh made Joseph like a father. And it just got me thinking about the nations and our nation specifically. That when we and our leaders make godly people their influence, God blesses our country. And more specifically, when people in positions make Jesus as their father, then the land is blessed. They can follow the precepts of Christ and amazing things happen. But I see that picture here in Egypt as well. How God will honor a nation when there's a leader in place that will honor God. And that will allow God's ways to be taught. Verse 9, he says, Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. I found that interesting too, that he says, you see that it's me because you see it's my mouth that speaks to you. Now, of course, that can mean you see that I'm, I'm speaking Hebrew language. You see that it's, it's, it's really me talking to you. But I just was considering how there's a lot of our identity in our mouth, is it not? Like there's a lot of char- unique characteristics about your mouth and about the way you communicate. The, because you, you talk, you might have the same mouth as somebody else, but maybe you talk differently, the way your mouth moves. You can really like tell somebody by their mouth and then unless they have a beard and then they shave their beard and it's like, well, you're naked, it's so weird. <laughs> right, but like our identity, I think it's interesting, Is like you see that it's my mouth speaking to you. Verse 13, you must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you see here. Hurry and bring back my father down here. I also love that Joseph, he wants his father to know his honor. Like he wants, he wants his father to know that he, he's in this position of honor and glory. And, and then that's cool from like a father-son sense, like, right, we want, we want to make our dads proud. But I feel like it also speaks of Christ. It reminds me of Jesus when he prays over his disciples and he says, Father, show them the glory that you gave me before the foundations of the world. Let them see that, Lord. Like, let them see how, how amazing things were when I dwelt in the glory and I, and I was glorious. Like, let them behold that. I kind of see that here in Joseph. It says, Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. I don't know if there's a lot of circumstances. If you're a weeper, if you're a crier, you can cry real easy. My wife, is, she's a very sensitive soul, very gentle, and she, can, she cries. She hates it. She's like, I hate that I cry so easily. But I'm like, it's a really sweet thing because when you see someone in pain, you identify with that pain, and they can see that. And sometimes as a pastor, I wish I could do that. You know, I wish I could... I could show someone that I really identify. Um, But I don't know how many times you've wept like this in life. We can read this in passing in Scripture and just think, here they are weeping again, and it's hard to really grasp the weight of the moment. But this is a strong emotional point where this family is finally reconciled. Like all the pain, all the hurt, all the questions, 
all that is being healed. It's being, it's being healed inside them and, and it, just, it just makes them cry. It makes them weep. It's overwhelming emotionally. I feel like it's going to feel something like that when we, when we stand before the Lord. There's going to be this, so many emotions. Probably our heads will be reeling at first and we'll be like, are we on candid camera or something? Because it's crazy. But to, to feel that, that recon, to really understand that reconciliation with God. And you don't have to wait till you stand before Him to feel that. Like God offers that to us, that forgiveness. But to really know and to see and sense that we are right with God. And even that we are right with each other. Like maybe those people, the, the other believers that you just have a lot of offenses towards and it's hard to be around them. Imagine how good it's going to feel when all of that is just removed. Like it's not tainted anymore. They're feeling all of this right now in this moment, just flooding in. This healing, this moment of restoration. And it's comforting to see. It's comforting to see the love and affection they have for one another, especially as it represents Jesus' love for His family. The fact that Jesus feels this way about being reconciled to us. He's not just like, okay, here, here, all right. Come and cry on my shoulder. You know, he, he's emotional about it as well. Like Christ longs for that day to be reconciled. In fact, that day, as I said, is coming for the Jewish nation. And it's going to be a very special moment. In Romans, Paul is explaining in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 how God is not done with Israel. He's saying, look, God, God has not finished with Israel. He has not cast them aside. His promises will remain for Israel and they will one day be saved. And in it, he says this in, in, in chapter 11, he says, and if their rejection of Christ brought about the riches of salvation for us, how much greater will their acceptance of the, of the Savior be? He alludes to this fact that there's going to be some amazing blessing as as Israel is restored to Christ. It's going to be an amazing moment. Now, as the church, we're going to be in heaven for that moment. We'll be raptured before the tribulation period, and we'll be watching this unfold. We'll know about it in heaven, and so we'll get to see the celebration in heaven when the Jews finally come back to Christ. It's going to be an amazing uh, scene, amazing thing to be a part of. Verse 16, it says, When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your household and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So we really see this favor from Pharaoh. He's like, hey, that's awesome. This is your family. Okay, bring them all here. Take all the best chariots and take all the riches, take all the things that they need and bring them back here to the land of Goshen. And he says, look, have no concern for your goods. Like, don't worry about what you have in Canaan because it's going to be way better here in the land of Goshen. And I love that Pharaoh says that. You know, don't worry about your goods so much that you don't leave to the next step, to the, to the place of salvation. I think there are a lot of people who fail to enter the kingdom of heaven 
because they have too much concern for their goods. They care too much about the monetary wealth that they have gained right here and now. In fact, Jesus said it's, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. For this reason, we have this condition where we think that our goods will fulfill us, that things will fulfill us. We have this idea that all that we've worked hard to attain is better than what God has for us. But it's not. It's not better than what God has for us. What you have earned, even what God has brought you, is not better than what God could potentially give you in the next season. And the beautiful part is, guys, when we trust God, when we get to that point where we're like, I, I, I have no concern for my goods now, Lord. I trust you. We realize we have fulfillment, we have joy in our relationship with Christ alone. And then all the goods that he gives us is just icing on the cake, right? He adds unto us what we need, but in Christ we have fulfillment, we have true joy. We don't need, we don't need that new truck to feel fulfilled. Oh, it'll make you happy for a couple weeks until you get your first uh, payment, right? Until the, until the honeymoon wears off with that, the, shine, the sheen wears off and you get your first dent. That relationship, oh, it'll be fun a little bit till you realize you're both sinners and no human being can fulfill you. And then the glamour wears off. And then you're, then you're stuck back into this, oh no, I thought this was going to work and I'm still not fulfilled. It's because you have too much concern for the goods in your life. God has fulfillment. God has joy. God has the very best of the land for you. And I don't mean that in some prosperity teaching sense. I mean that in whatever God has for you is better than any plan that you could come up with. You will have more fulfillment as a servant of Christ than you will as a, a Lord of men. Pharaoh's like, look, don't, don't worry about your status in Canaan. Everybody there is dying. That land is failing. And so is this life. Things are failing here. The land is failing. You might feel monetarily full, but we are spiritually in a famine here. And we need Christ if we are going to survive it. Don't, con- don't be concerned for the stuff in Canaan. Come here and you will be much more blessed in this place. And so will we if we choose Christ. Verse 21, The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh. He gave them provisions for the journey. To each of all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with goods of things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for his father on the journey. Twenty donkeys full of stuff. Ten of them are just for fun. And then ten more so that they'll have enough provision for the journey back here. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. Go get dad, take all of these riches, and then come on back here. Guys, please, don't quarrel on the way. No, no, Jude, Judah, keep your hands to yourself. Stop talking to Simeon that way. You know, he's about being dad on him. Don't quarrel. Don't quarrel on the way. Look, they're, they're changed. They've changed their ways. They love each other. But Joseph realizes they might have the tendency to still quarrel. He knows how they are. He remembers his brothers who slaughtered a whole town. Remember that story? Like, hey, that might come out, especially if they have all these riches and people come out to chat with them. Don't bicker and quarrel on the way. And you know what's sad is this is really like, it's kind of like we are. Like, it's kind of like the church. 
isn't it? We've repented, hopefully, right? We've received Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And yet, for whatever reason, we still manage to quarrel with other believers over silly things. Sometimes, when I see like all the drama in church that has to be dealt with, it's like, man, I, how, why is this the case? Why do we Christians like take advantage of each other and, and talk bad about each other and bicker over the silliest things? It's because we have this tendency to quarrel. And guys, we're not alone in this struggle. The disciples did the same thing. The disciples who hung out with Jesus physically, personally, every day. They saw His miracles. They actually witnessed Jesus' humility. They heard the teachings of Jesus from His lips. And then they'd turn around and quarrel with each other about who was the best in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, seriously, Lord? These guys? You know? And it's, it's so sad. But 2 Timothy chapter 2, it tells us, look, if we want to be good stewards, if we want to be good servants of the Lord, if we want to live as we are approved of by God, then we must not quarrel. In fact, it says a servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. And, and those of you who are like really into theology and you like to debate, you got to watch this. You're one of those people who probably has to watch this, okay? Because it might just be fun for you but it might come across as quarrelsome, okay? In fact, in 2 Timothy, it says, don't quarrel about words to the ruining of the hearer. So when you and your Christian friend are quarreling, you know, it's cool, you know, it's just, it's just Carlos. I can, I can raz Carlos. And, and someone else is hearing it. It can affect their perception of Christ. It can affect the mission We've been given all these blessings, all these goods from Christ, and we've been given a real mission, but let's not quarrel on the way because it will mess with our ability to represent Jesus and represent the gospel. Let's do the things, as the Bible says, that make for peace. Let's let our gentleness be known to all men. Let's uh, be marked as disciples of Christ by what? The love that we have for one another. Jesus said, that's how they'll know you're my disciples, is the love so let us not quarrel on the way. Verse 25, So they went out, out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is the ruler of all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb. It says he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, he's like, okay, that's a pretty elaborate lie if you're lying. And then when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent, well, at this point, it's kind of like, okay, where did you guys get all these wagons to trick me that Joseph is still alive? He starts to realize these guys are telling the truth. And the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Yeah, it's amazing. Imagine, imagine how it must have felt for Jacob. After 20 years of sorrow and grief for his favorite son being dead, all of a sudden his son is alive again. He's receiving his son back from the dead. I couldn't imagine the complexities of those emotions, but the joy that would come of that. This guy, he's, he's old. It's hard to get an old man to move out of their, their house they've been in, you know? But he is motivated. 
He's like, call U-Haul right now. We are going. They're like, Dad, don't worry. We got U-Haul. We got 10 U-Hauls right out front. The, the provisions were there. The provisions were met. It was time to go. They're like, let's get going here. And this grand reunion with, ja- with Jacob and with his son Joseph, it's going to be this sweet thing. But of course, we don't get that for a couple chapters. So we're going to go ahead and end there. If you guys want to close your Bibles, and we will stand and we will pray. So Father, we do want to give you thanks just for your faithfulness, Lord God, how you pursue us. Lord, how you desire reconciliation with us, how you desire to bless us. Lord, that it is not your delight, Lord, that we would be punished or that we would suffer. Oh, but when those things happen, Lord God, you do great things in us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have the faith that when we face difficult circumstances, we would trust you, knowing that you're working. Lord, I also pray that we would have the wisdom and the faith and the self-control to forgive regardless of circumstances. Lord, to be those who are like Joseph, he was even gracious to his offenders and he had moved on in his heart and that we would also have the discernment to know when to reconcile and restore and when not to, Lord God. I pray that you'd give us wisdom in our relationships, give us wisdom to allow you to be in every relationship that you would be invited in. Lord, that we would have the wisdom to put all of our cards on the table, this, our sins, that we would not be afraid to deal with hard issues in relationships, that we would follow Joseph's example and, and handle these things in the right way, in a godly way, that we would have healthy relationships and that in turn we would reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ in our relationships. We love you and we thank you Uh, for your faithfulness in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here. You've been listening to a teaching from Ignition Tucson, the Young Adults Ministry of Calvary Tucson. Our hope is that through this ministry, your heart would be ignited to live boldly for Christ. If you live in the greater Tucson area and you're between the ages of 18 and 28, we want to invite you out to join us in person. We meet every Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Tucson's East Campus on Speedway in Camino Seco. We hope to see you there. God bless.